We at Chevron believe that nothing is more precious than life, and that the most precious life of all is the dead kind that has been compressed for hundreds of millions of years under massive rocks until it magically becomes oil. Oil that we can refine and sell as gasoline, so a cool-ass tank can crush a clay hut, or an airplane can take a businessman 3,000 miles to have dinner with someone, or whatever, all the while releasing greenhouse gases that are transforming the planet right this second into a hellish George Miller film. Because at the end of the day, we at Chevron straight up don't give a single fuck about you, your weird children, or your stupid ratty ass dog. And we have billions and billions of dollars to pay for this commercial time, this cheesy footage, and this bullshit music. All so that you will be lulled into a catatonic state that makes you forget one singular fact. Chevron is actively murdering you every day. See, the human brain can only deal with so many things at once. So these emotionally loaded scenes will always push aside other thoughts like, Chevron is murdering me. It's just how our brains work, you meat puppet who exists only to feed us profits. Chevron. It's hard to even comprehend how little of a fuck we give about you. And this commercial also applies equally to Axon VP Shell, our delinquent lapdog media, and any hack politician who's trading the future of life on this planet for filthy money and oil stocks. This is News Dive, and I am your host, Shane. In the news this week, reasserting that no one should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana, U.S. President Joe Biden on Thursday afternoon issued a full, complete, unconditional pardon to all current United States citizens and all and lawful permanent residents convicted of simple federal marijuana possession, a move that drew applause from drug policy reform advocates. While welcoming the U.S. President Joe Biden's executive action Thursday pardoning American conviction of low-level federal marijuana possession offenses, immigrant rights advocates expressed disappointment that the policy does not apply to non-citizens and hope that the administration will ensure that everyone benefits from the clemency. Thousands of federal officials in the executive branch over the last two presidential administrations have disclosed trading stocks in companies that their agencies oversee, representing thousands of potential conflicts of interest a new investigation finds. In fiscal year 2022, which lasts between October 2021 and September 2022, union petition filings with the NLRB rose by 53% over the fiscal year 2021. In total, workers filed 2,500 union petitions in the most recent fiscal year, the highest number of filings since fiscal year 2016. Amazon on Tuesday suspended at least 50 workers who refused to uh, return to the shop floor for a few hours on Monday night due to health and safety concerns following a fire at the JFK 8 Fulfillment Center in New York City, the company's only unionized warehouse in the United States. 
Roughly 100 night shift workers at the Staten Island facility participated in a work stoppage shortly after a fire broke out in a trash compactor machine being used on cardboard. Citing mass layoffs and recent pay deductions and inspiration from unionizing workers at Starbucks and Amazon, hundreds of workers at telecommunication giant T-Mobile on Wednesday announced that they are forming an independent union. On Tuesday, the Department of Labor announced the proposal of a rule that could pave a way for millions of workers in the gig economy to be classified as employees and a significant win for labor advocates who have been fighting for better standards for gig workers for years. The new rule will allow millions of people working for companies like Uber and Lyft along with these companies along with uh, along with those working in construction, janitorial services, home care, and more to be classified as employees if they are uh, economically dependent on their work for the company. While it isn't binding law, which would likely have to be issued by Congress, the guidance will likely be used by judges and employers to determine worker classification. In announcing the rule, labor officials rescinded a Donald Trump-era rule that expanded the pool of workers who would be classified as contractors or freelancers. The rule had allowed employers to deny those workers benefits that are required by the federal government, like guaranteed minimum wage rates, overtime pay, the right to unionize, and more. This week, Democrats dropped Senator Joe Manchin's from West Virginia's fossil fuel pipeline permitting bill that the corporate media and fossil fuel lobbyists have been trying to pass off as an energy and environmental victory. As a result, the valuation of Equeris Midstream, the corporation behind the Mountain Valley Pipeline at the center of the legislation, took a big hit as its pipeline was downgraded by Bank of America to an underperforming project. This sharp downgrade is raising serious questions about the future of the controversial pipeline project, which was poised to be fast-tracked by the pipeline bill. Just days after Category 4 Hurricane Ian devastated Florida, killing at least 88 people and leveling and flooding thousands of buildings, nearly every Florida Republican in U.S. Congress voted against a bill containing billions in funding for disaster relief that officials could have access to begin recovery after the storm. Insurance giants are exploiting Medicare Advantage, a corporate-managed program that threatens to result in the complete privatization of traditional Medicare. To capture billions of dollars of extra profits, according reporting by the New York Times confirmed. The paper, the newspaper's analysis of dozens of lawsuits, inspector general reports, and watchdog investigations found that overbilling by Medicare Advantage uh, providers is so pervasive that it exceeds budgets of entire federal agencies, prompting journalist Ryan Cooper to call the program a straight-up fraud scheme. The Biden administration and Congress faced new pressure Wednesday to reinstate a ban on U.S. gasoline exports after the Saudi-led Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, or OPEC, agreed to slash oil production by 2 million barrels a day to boost prices, a move that drew outrage from the White House and some congressional Democrats. After, 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 uh, after Saudi-led International Oil Cartel Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, or OPEC, announced on Wednesday that it will be continuing conducting a, its largest slash of oil production since 2020, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont expressed outrage and called for the U.S. to end military aid to Saudi Arabia altogether. The International Energy Agency warned Thursday that the Saudi-led OPEC cartel's decision to slash oil production in the coming weeks could be the final catalyst for a global economic recession as central banks try and thus far fail to rein in inflation with demand crushing interest rate hikes.
the, se- the September employment report showed the labor market remained strong. However, wage growth appears to be moderating. The report showed a gain of 263,000 jobs, which is in line with most prediction. The unemployment rate, uh, rate edged back down to 3.5%, its lowest level in the last half century. As data released Thursday shows inflation kept climbing in September even after the U.S. Federal Reserve raised interest rates yet again, progressives reiterated that the nation's central bank is ill-equipped to tackle the root causes of rising prices and urge Congress to rein in corporate greed before further rate hikes throw millions of people out of work and help crash the global economy. Warning that a potential merger between Kroger and Albertson, the two nations' largest grocery chains, would hurt workers and force consumers to endure even more corporate price gouging, which has intensified following years of supermarket consolidation. Progressives on Thursdays implored implored the Biden administration to nix the deal if finalized. And... A six-week abortion ban in Ohio has forced people with cancer to travel out of state for abortions that are necessary to continue with life-saving treatment, according to affidavits submitted by abortion providers in the state. In at least two cases, cancer patients have been blocked from receiving treatment until their pregnancies were terminated, and getting an abortion required them to to leave the state. And that is this week's rundown. And hello everyone, I am solo again this week, and this week we are talking a little bit about union busting, as corporations are spending a ton to stop low-wage workers from unionizing across the country. Thousands, as uh, mentioned in the rundown, uh, thousands of workers are filing petitions to unionize across the country, the setting records for the the previous fiscal year and their goal is to form uh form a labor union to force their bosses to negotiate better pay and benefits after years of brutal working conditions uh, during COVID-19. Many of them are low-paid service employees trying to establish the first unions at multi-billion dollar companies. And uh, it has alarmed corporate executives who are paying thousands of dollars a day to break up organizing efforts. Uh, Companies like Amazon, Dollar General, Hershey's, Pfizer, Walgreens, and Chipotle are just a few of these major companies that have done so since the start of the pandemic to prevent their workers from uh, unionizing. Uh, one of their one of their go-to uh, firms is the uh, Labor Relations Institute, which prides itself in guiding companies to become union-free and educating employees about the disadvantage of unions. Uh, in December and January, uh, Dollar General paid the firm eighty-three thousand dollars for its services in stopping six workers at a store and bar. Bark Hampstead, Connecticut, from forming a union, according to company's disclosures. The employees at the store said they wanted job security to ensure they wouldn't get fired without a good reason. One of them uh, contacted uh, Jennifer Petronella, an organizer with United Foods and Commercial Workers Union Local 371. Petronella, it said, uh, LRI, as the firm is known, is put the most aggressive anti-union campaign she's ever witnessed. Its strategy, she said, involved flying several Dollar General executives to Connecticut to shadow employees in the weeks leading up to the October votes. She wasn't surprised how much Dollar General spent to block the union. What's sad is they rather pay consultants thousands and thousands of dollars rather than give it to their employees, she added. One of the employees who pushed for election, Shelley Parsons, said the consultants and executives badmouthed unions and told employees they were being tricked. And we have an, a video with this person that, that features this person, Shelly Parsons, and, and an interview with More Perfect Union. So we'll let the Dollar General employees 
explain what's going on at their job. What happened when they found out we tried to unionize is they brought a few people from out of state, out of town. They start taking people one by one, talking to them, telling them about the union, bashing the union, saying that they're bad, they're not good people, they're just trying to trick us, they follow us. It's like you're walking on eggshells around the store. They're right there, they're listening. You can't talk, you can't work, you can't nothing. It's so uncomfortable. So I've been organizing with the union for about eight years now, and this is definitely the most aggressive anti-union campaign I've seen. Our general workers in Barksdale, Connecticut, are trying to form the first company's union. An election on October 22 was tainted by Dollar General's likely illegal union busting. So the workers at the Connecticut Dollar General contacted us um, because they were having issues and concerns that they were bringing forward to corporate, and corporate was not answering those issues and concerns. Dollar General is my main source of income. Um, yes, I have another job, but that's just a part-time job. I am working about 80 plus hours between both jobs. When I spoke to them regarding my schedule uh, change due to uh, my child and my other job that I have, that I couldn't work nights. And after I spoke to the people regarding the nights, um, they, when they did the schedule the next time, uh, they put me on for a night. Dollar General, in comparison to other companies we organized, um, definitely has a lot more issues um, in terms of their benefits and just in general the scheduling as well as rate of pay and the store being open for Christmas and Thanksgiving and not getting any holiday pay. Dollar General has the lowest hourly wage of any retail chain in the United States stores are dangerously understaffed. We are organizing a union because we feel that we are not being treated fairly. Our pay is not fair. So in order for us to protect ourselves, what do we got to do? We have to join a union. The only people that would save us is the union. Dollar General has flown in corporate people from Tennessee. Um, they've flown in union busters from all over the country to try and persuade the workers to not um, vote yes for the union. They've been holding captive audience meetings every day since we petitioned on September 20th. Dollar General hired the union busting firm LRI. It has paid LRI $13,500 day for the past month. They are in the store constantly just surveilling the, the workers and, and listening to any conversations that may pertain to the union. A firm union employee was fired on the day of the election bargaining unit was due. Managers accused him of using foul language in front of customers. And demands of his co-workers signed documents cooperating the charge. Can you write a statement for um, us? We need you to write so-and-so that he said so-and-so and that there was customers when there was no customers. Now, that's called a false statement. And it wasn't one person, it was two people, two co-workers were told to do this when nobody heard nothing of a kind. And so he got fired because there was false statements. Dollar General has broken the law by terminating one of our supporters for union activity. Um, we have a charge filed with the National Labor Relations Board that is currently being investigated. We are confident that we're going to be able to get our supporter back to work. They have violated the law by reducing full-time workers' hours and giving the part-time workers 40 hours and the full-time workers less than 40 and we do have a charge filed for that as well. They added a worker to the voting list from another store. That worker that they have added to the list, um, we will be challenging um, her vote on election day because she was recently added to the schedule at Bark Hampstead. Dollar General likely broke the law by threatening to close the store if workers vote the union. The initial vote was three to two against the union with two challenged ballots. Decide the outcome of the election in the coming weeks. USCW plans to contest.
That's the election. What message would I like to send to other Dollar General employees with the same thing going on is stand up for yourself, let your voice be heard, do not let these people get to you, bring you down and tell you you can't do this. So yeah, there so there's what's happening at in Connecticut at a at a Dollar General that's trying to unionize, a Dollar a Dollar General that has that that is staffed by like six people spending thousands and thousands of dollars to prevent six people from unionizing. Dollar General and Public Relations Institute did not respond to a request for comment from Public Integrity. The most, reason, the most common reason companies say they oppose labor unions is because they want to have a direct relationship with their employees. It also costs them more money. Research shows that the growth of union jobs correlates to higher wages for the lowest paid workers. Studies show also show that expanding union membership likely decrease income inequality. While public support for labor unions has skyrocketed in recent years, the share of workers who belong to one has declined for decades. Only about 1 in 10 workers in the United States are union members. Corporate executives don't seem to want that number to rise. Public and uh, Public Integrity reviewed public records to see how much U.S. corporations paid uh, union avoidance firms in recent years, and here are samples of what they found. First one they talk about is Amazon. The company, the company paid more than $4.2 million to four anti-union labor firms, according to disclosures fired, filed with the Department of Labor. The filings describe the payments as a response to large-scale union organizing efforts. Uh, most of that money targeted organizing efforts at two Arizona, uh, Arizona, Amazon warehouses, one in Bessemer, Alabama, another at the company's JFK 8 warehouse in Staten Island, New York. Which, uh, we have talked about that particular union drive extensively on this show. Uh, one firm, Lev Labor, charged $400 an hour for each consultant to meet with workers at the Staten Island Warehouse, conduct walkthroughs, and run employee focus groups. They also met with managers to role-play conversations about the union. The strategy may not have worked. In April, the majority of employees voted in favor of joining the Amazon Labor Union, the first federally recognized union victory at the company's U.S. facility. Amazon is challenging the results of the election before the NROB. And here is a bit more on uh, Amazon's union busting. Jeff Bezos made $11.5 million every hour of the pandemic, and yet he shared almost none of it with warehouse workers. It ain't fair to us working like we working and got him in this position he in and he don't care about us and want to pay us. Now, Amazon workers in Alabama are voting to form the first union in the company's U.S. history. I want people to understand that the packages that you get is on our backs. This is a distinctly Black-led struggle for labor rights inspired in part by the movement for Black Lives. Workers here describe conditions as something out of a dystopian nightmare. Once you get off, it's so excruciating walking out. And while the gap between Bezos' wealth and his employees' earnings has reached obscene levels, not everyone is behind the union push. If performing at a certain level is too much physically or too much mentally for somebody, then maybe this isn't the place for them. If these workers succeed, it could mark a turning point in the history of organized labor in the U.S. and send shockwaves through warehouses across the country. Keep working! Keep working! We're in Bessemer, Alabama to follow this epic battle for organized labor. Amazon reaped mind-boggling profits during the pandemic, and Jeff Bezos' personal wealth grew by about $70 billion. So even if he gave every U.S. Amazon employee a one-time $100,000 bonus, he'd still be nearly as rich as he was before the crisis. Instead, he stripped workers like Jennifer Bates of the $2-an-hour hazard bonus they received near the start of the pandemic. You see, you see the shoes here? 
I've gone through them all. None of them work um, doing all that walking at Amazon. As Jennifer gets ready for a 10-hour shift at Amazon, she worries about the toll it will take on her body. I hope my legs don't start hurting. You know, so that's, that's really what's going through my mind. Jennifer says the physical requirements of the job are grueling and unsustainable. She's been to the doctor for tests because her legs and ankles are swelling. Your body is taking a hit. Once you get off, it's so excruciating walking out. Some workers told AJ Plus they have to walk for miles during a shift and can't sit down except during official breaks. For Jennifer, it's become so difficult that she wonders how she'll make it through the day. I have 10 hours. And what goes on in my mind is I try to convince myself that everything's going to be okay today. And Jennifer says she's not alone. It's amazing because as I sit in my car, I literally see people walking and limping. Now, Jennifer and other workers are taking on one of the most powerful companies on the planet with a vote later this month on whether to unionize. And they faced an avalanche of union busting in response. Workers say they've been spammed by anti-union text messages and emails and are subjected to vote no messaging along the walls and even bathrooms of the warehouse. Jefferson County even changed traffic signals outside the warehouse at Amazon's request. The union says it was to undermine canvassing efforts. It's been so bad that members of Congress sent a letter to Jeff Bezos imploring him to, quote, stop these strong-arm tactics immediately. Amazon is afraid of the power of the people, that now we're, we'll have a voice and we'll be able to stand up. What they're afraid of now is that when the union comes in, now we're being forced to make you sit down and talk to us. Amazon rejected our request to film inside the warehouse, but we pieced together clips from social media and personal accounts to give you an idea of what life inside is actually like. It looks something like this. Your job is a picker at the warehouse. You have to pull products from shelves powered by robots. These are called pods. A computer tracks how fast you work. It's called making rate. Want to stretch or take a few sips of water? That's going to eat up precious time. Need to get on a stepladder to reach a product? That's also going to cost you. You get a warning. You're not making rate. For Daryl, a picker at Amazon's warehouse, it's that frantic push to be robotically efficient that chips away at his personal dignity. He works 10 to 12 hour shifts and worries about taking too long for a bathroom break. If I need some water, I just don't walk off my scene just cause I walk off my scene because I need to. I got an issue. Warehouse workers get two 30-minute breaks per shift, but outside of that, workers are being monitored anytime they're not performing their job. It's called TOT, or time off task. Picture this. You've been standing for four hours. It's time for a mandatory break. You have 30 minutes to walk an area the size of 14 football fields to get to the break room. There's no time to heat up food. Something from the vending machine will have to do. You finish up, head to the bathroom, and make it back to your station 10 minutes late. You get a text message. You've racked up TOT. Report to HR. Too much TOT could get you fired. You want to fire me for, for going to the bathroom if, if I got too much TOT time. Come on now. Just life. Going to the bathroom. Mother Nature called. Amazon has said its workers don't need to unionize, talking up its competitive benefits and starting pay of $15.30 an hour. That's more than double the state's minimum wage of $7.25. Pause it for a second, because I would like to point out when Amazon increased their wages to $15 an hour, they took away other benefits. Just like to point that out says it's not a livable wage and that they deserve more for what they're contributing to the company. If I was the senior right now, I would ask him, you just do what we do for a month because I want to see how long will he last. It ain't fair to us working like we working and got him in this position he in and he don't care about us and want to pay us. So there's a picture into Amazon's union busting tactics that We've already gone over, but it's always good to get a refresher, especially for anyone new listening. We'll move on to the next company in this report, the, the Hershey's Company. During the winter, the Hershey's Company hired six union avoidance firms to block organizing efforts at its chocolate factory in Stewart's Draft, Virginia. Employees in favor of unionizing there cited overtime pay cuts, fewer breaks, and wage gaps as the main reason for uh, organizing with, with Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco, Grain Millers, International Union. 
More than 1,000 people work for the company's second largest factory, which produces iconic candies such as Reese's peanut butter cups and Almond Joy candy bars. Only two of Hershey's seven factories are unionized. One month later, in March, a majority of workers at the plant voted against unionizing. It's unclear how much money Hershey's paid the six labor firms to make that happen. The company hasn't submitted uh, its spending report for the current fiscal year, which ends on September 30th. Hershey's did not respond to a request for comment from Public Integrity. Neither did Phil or the Labor Relations Institute, once again. So here are Hershey workers explain the conditions they have to deal with. It's known as the Hershey prison, and we get home release. I've worked 28 days straight consecutively without a day off at Hershey. I've worked 33 days straight. 72 days consecutively. I was exhausted, both physically and mentally. Did I try to get days off? Yes. I was denied that weekend unless I got my own coverage. Another work spied on and lied to these Hershey workers are unionizing. Our first focus is it's all about the well-being of our employees. We were considered essential employees, so yes, the overtime was there. Yes, the overtime was forced. Very much important is how you treat people. There's no empathy or sympathy within their system. People are going on their breaks and just not coming back and not wanting to be a part of it and leaving. They obviously had people or agents watching our Facebook posts or our social media. Workers at this Hershey plant in Virginia filed, filed for a union law. Work on January. the outrageous, outrageous O'Henry line. On the new Reese Cup line as a rapper operator. My lines at Hershey was strictly Almond Joy's announced. They say the culture of forced overtime, oppressive management, and pay inequality had made work we unbearable. We had the two-tier system that started with my group that come in in 2008. Tier one employees tend to make between two to three dollars more than tier two employees, and they have a significant amount more vacation. The ones that are on the old pay scale, they have a pension, whereas I do not. I was led to believe that there was a five day a week um, work shift. Once getting there, that was completely false. Production workers feel that Hershey's does not want to replace the equipment due to cost, cuts into their, their bonuses. Um, with the machinery not being maintained properly and being outdated, it's constantly breaking down, which means that you're never going to get a day off because you got to have those days to make up for the downtime. I have seen favoritism that is unreal. There's not really much room for advancement if you're not in one of the cliques, if you're not a family member of someone um, that's in power. The point system that management has now just reflects a non-caring attitude towards employees. If you get sick, you will get a point for that time lost or that time missed. Even though we have sick days built into our policy, those sick days count against you. And you're only allowed to miss five days out of 365 days a year. At three and a half points, the company deems that you have some sort of um, emotional or mental issues and they send you to counseling um, for missing three and a half days of work out of an entire year. Plant management engaged in sweeping campaign up to disclose unionization offer a illegal tactics. A supervisor told me that I could not discuss the union on the company floor. That's illegal. When management found out that I was very active in a previous union, I started to get a lot of attention from management. And I felt like I was being watched, especially on breaks. A business unit leader for my department um, earlier had shown me, had brought me his phone, and it showed a post that I had made on our union page. We intend to now file unfair labor practice charges against management because we're not going to turn our heads on spying on union activities, which is illegal. Um, even the impression of surveillance is illegal. At Hershey's, there's a fear of retaliation. It's real, and we're seeing it. I was late coming back from a designated break. I took 44 minutes. It was supposed to be 30. I was talking in the locker room, lost track of time, and when I come back, there was management. There is no doubt in my mind that I have been terminated because of my union activities, because they know that I support this union 100%.
The normal procedure is you'll be warned, you get a reprimand, a verbal warning, a written warning, eventually a suspension, uh, but no one's terminated right off the bat with that. I was basically fired on a first-time offense, but they're using a previous disciplinary action against me to further my termination. When was that disciplinary action? Six years ago. This will be probably a dozen unfair labor practice charges at this point. Hershey boosted gains throughout the pandemic on the back of its workers forced in the overtime. She shares hitting an all-time high today after beating Wall Street expectations and raising guidance for the year. Other factories within the area were getting hourly raises as much as $2 an hour, but we were given like a $200 lump sum. Hershey CEO Michelle Buck was compensated more than $19 million in 2020. That's roughly 360 times the median pay for employees of the Hershey Company. You know, I'm so proud of our employees for how they've united together and operated with agility to capture this opportunity for double-digit sales and earnings. It was a pleasure working there except for the never-ending overtime, um, the not being able to get sick without penalty, and the constant fear of being written up or fired over the smallest infraction. Ballots for the mail-in voting election will be set for workers in late February. Ballots are expected to be counted on March 24th. We need this union. They're spewing nothing but half-truths. They're lying through omission. They're fear-mongering. They're gaslighting. And they're just running scared, in my opinion. A message to the awesome fellow co-workers there is, hang tough, we're going to make a difference. Moving on to Chipotle, Chipotle hired three different firms to intervene in union organizing efforts at some of its restaurants over the summer. At least one of the firms, PAS Labor, was paid to talk to workers at a restaurant in Lansing, Michigan, according to disclosures. The firm's anti-union campaign did not pay off. In August, most employees at the restaurant voted in favor of joining Teamsters Local 243 to represent 21 employees the chain's first local location to unionize. Employees said they want higher wages and better schedules. Early, a month earlier, Chipotle permanently closed a restaurant in Augusta, Maine. Workers there had just fire, filed a request for a union election. The company said it was unable to adequately staff that location, though union organizers claimed the chain was trying to silence workers. Chipotle did not respond to a request for comment from uh, public integrity, neither did the president of the PAS labor firm. It is unclear how much Chipotle paid these three union avoidance firms it hired over the summer. It hasn't submitted its spending report for the current fiscal year. And once again, here are Chipotle workers explaining their conditions and their, their harassment they are receiving from their company in their effort to unionize. When I walked back into that restaurant in January, after being gone for two years, I wanted to cry. It was an immediate, my heart just dropped. Nothing in that restaurant looked like it had been taken care of, including the crew. Chipotle workers in Augusta, Maine are attempting to form the company's first well, I started union. noticing the issues in Chipotle pretty much right from the bat. I started noticing issues um, pretty much day one. They kept insisting that we run with not quite the number of people that we should run with. If there aren't enough people to run the store, we have to cut corners. We have customers coming in and they're upset. Why are you so slow? Why is the food not right? The dangers of not being able to have enough people to run the store are a lot of shortcuts that are unsafe. We had people working injured. We've only made 300. I am interested in companies with magnificent. Chipotle made $653 million in profit in 2021. I am interested in companies with magnificent sales and earnings like Chipotle. Melissa, Chipotle out with beats on the top and bottom lines for Q1. Same-store sales also up 9%. Chipotle shares sizzled in early trading Wednesday, jumping more than 10% to a record high. Instead of investing in staff, Chipotle spent $100 million on stock buybacks to enrich you know, shareholders. Look, I think our secret weapon is our people and our culture. Chipotle CEOs make 1,131 times the The short staffing has led to 
injuries and exhaustion in the crew. When we're operating at half crew or even a third of the crew, a lot of the people have to work double time at extra jobs. We end up getting ourselves spread thin. Like a candle burning at both ends, it burns out pretty fast. In June, Chipotle workers walked off the job in protest. Everyone was overworked, everyone was burnt out, and everyone was doing the job of at least two full people. We had complained in all of the appropriate ways, and it was time for us to say, we can't keep doing this. If we weren't going to meet the minimum mandatory amount of people in order to work the job properly and effectively, we weren't going to open up the shop at all. We weren't troublemakers. We were just asking to be cared for better. Since walking out, Chipotle has sent upper management to the store to address employee concerns. Most of it concerns. was just them walking in and asking us questions. So far has been a lot of signing paperwork and acknowledging our responsibilities. But no concrete promises were made. We still don't have the right training. We just want to be able to function. Workers are now forming a union to ensure the company's promises are kept. We're asking for the bare minimum that Chipotle itself should be providing to begin with. Training and staffing your own restaurant is pretty par for the course for any business. It benefits us, but also it benefits Chipotle and the customers too. When we realized that we could all stand up together and say, hey, we're not gonna do this anymore. You can't you know, run us around like this anymore. They listened, they deployed. This is, this is the power of being a collective. This little, tiny Chipotle in Maine managed to make national news, and hopefully what we did can inspire people from all walks of life and from all sorts of companies to know that if you don't feel like you're being treated right by your company, you can do stuff about it. You absolutely have a voice, you absolutely have power, and you should use it. as we just talked about that same store in Augusta, Maine was later closed which uh, union supporters claim was in retaliation to the union itself. So all, all those people who were uh, overworked and abused by their company are now out of a job because the company does not want to recognize their union. It's not and it's not just these companies are doing it. There are plenty of other companies that are doing the same thing. But this just is to give you an idea what is happening out there. And and if you are if you are working on setting up a union to where you work, I I suggest uh, it learning your rights, know know what's legal and illegal, and just keep fighting you know your rights because these companies will do everything in their power to prevent you uh from asking for a little more pay and a little better working condition so moving on have you heard about the gop plan to either gut social safety nets or destroy the economy perhaps the most consequential consequential story of the midterms uh, broke this week, but there's been virtually no coverage of it from um, major TV shows, new pa- newspapers, or mainstream outlets. On Tuesday, Bloomberg government produced a bombshell report that points to massive economic consequences a Republican House would bring Americans. If Republicans gain a majority following the next month's elections, uh, they plan to use a further increase or suspension of the debt ceiling as leverage to force through top priorities like seismic cuts to Social Security, Medicare, and other social safety net spending. The failure to act on the debt ceiling would result in an economic catastrophe, experts say. There has been shockingly little coverage of this development giving it significant. It has earned little mention in publications including uh, New York Magazine and Senator Elizabeth Warren and MSNBC's Chris Hayes detailed the stakes on his show on Wednesday night. And, and here's that clip. 
Senator, I wonder how much it is set in among you and your colleagues the threat to the economy that might be posed by Republican just winning the House, for instance, if you go back and look at the record in, in 2011, do people on the Hill feel that, understand how, how, how scary that might be? Well, it, we should understand it because the Republicans are loud and clear about this. They've already said, for example, that they will use the debt ceiling negotiations. You know, we got to raise the debt ceiling so that we can meet the obligations of the United States of America. And there are already Republicans saying, hey, if they can get control of the House or the Senate, then they're going to hold hostage things like Social Security and Medicare. Remember, uh, Ron Johnson, for example, who's running in Wisconsin, said we ought to vote every year on whether to keep Social Security and Medicare. So they want to be able to use these kind of levers to blow up our economy. And I but yeah, the, she goes on, but that's mainly the point there. But the story has not been referenced elsewhere on MSNBC or on CNN or on Fox News. The nationally broadcast morning and evening news shows on ABC, CBS, and NBC have not discussed it. It hasn't been mentioned in the pages of major newspapers, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the, Lo the Los Angeles Times, and USA Today. Republican leaders have been cagey about what they will do if they take control of the uh, House of Representatives in November. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy produced a vague agenda last month that the New York Times described as an innocuous-sounding set of principles that was aimed at uniting members but was light on details, particularly on issues where the party's traditional positions were unpopular. But the party's real strategy is quite specific, and it covers ground far from the GOP's culture war battlefield. House Republicans will threaten to force the United States to default on its debt, setting off a global economic crisis unless Democrats agree to such cuts. All four Republicans vying for their chairman of the House Budget Committee told Bloomberg government. The potential GOP committee leaders offering a variety of direct and indirect measures to carry out their vision, but the upshot for the American public is, is that a GOP House will try to slash the social safety net and plans to capsize the economy if it doesn't get its way. Bloomberg government story follows a September report from Axios stating that the GOP leaders, congressional aides, and business groups are preparing for a potential nightmare scenario next year if House Republicans take back the majority, a debt limit showdown reminiscent of the near crisis in 2011. Social Security and Medicare are on the ballot next month. If the American public does, does not know that, it's because the press is not telling them. And to explain that in simpler terms, the, the debt ceiling is like a, an arbitrary, is an arbitrary uh, limit of spending that the government allows. They can just raise it whenever they want with, with zero issue, but like they need the vote to raise it. So basically what Republicans are saying is that they refuse to vote to raise the debt ceilings unless they get the cuts to Social Security and Medicare that they want. And this has been the Republican playbook for a while. Well, not to use the hold the debt ceiling hostage, but their plan for decades has been to cut Social Security and Medicare. They want, like, they want people working longer. They want people to retire later. They don't want people to be able to afford to retire. They want you to work until you drop dead from exhaustion. That is the Republican mentality. And the last thing I want to talk about this week is the looming Henry Cuellar conundrum. It's a problem that could have been avoided if Nancy Pelosi and other House leaders had not gotten involved. Abortion has upended the political landscape, giving Democrats a fighting chance in the midterms. 
that they could possibly hold on to their narrow majority in the House, for example, is an outcome that seemed unthinkable before Roe v. Wade's repeal by the Supreme Court. Now election forecasters are flashing more favorable odds. New voter registrations are surging, especially in red states where abortion restrictions are the most extreme. And about 56% of voters say abortion will be very important in the midterm vote, according to a Pew survey from August. Democrats are running nationally on the promise to codify Roe, and then and the three largest pro-choice organizations in the country, Planned Parenthood, Norrell Choice, Pro-Choice America, and Emily's List, have sp- pledged to spend an astonishing $150 million towards the midterms to help them do it. There is one big problem, though. Ex-Representative Henry Cuellar, the only anti-abortion Democrat in the House. Pro-choice organizations are now refusing to put a dime towards electing him, rightfully so. And he's running in a crucial swing district, one in which the whole Democratic majority in the House could hinge and where Republicans are spending big currently. And, and as I said, uh, this whole situation could have been easily avoided. Cuellar, who's, 60 Senate, who's 67, represents South Texas' 28th district, which includes parts of San Antonio and Lorado has been one of the most conservative Democrats in Congress since he turned up in 2005. A reliable ally of congressional Republicans, most recently voting against Democrats' semi-automatic weapons ban, Cuellar has been embraced by Democratic leadership who see him as someone who can attract a coalition of more socially conservative voters, especially Latinos. But that wisdom seems unsupported. Cuellar was at risk of losing his primary this year to a 28-year-old progressive immigration attorney named Jessica Cisneros, who almost beat him in 2020. She ran a dynamic campaign championing the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, and a $15 minimum wage. In Texas, by the way. The primary was so close that it went to a runoff and a recount. And Cuellar would have almost certainly lost if Democratic leadership had not stepped in. Over the objections of many pro-choice groups who took the rare step of endorsing Cisneros, four of the five top-ranking House Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Jim Clyburn, and Hakeem Jeffries, personally endorsed Cuellar. They recorded robocalls singing their support, donated money to his campaign, and hit the trail on his behalf. It was weird and unnecessary, and Democrats, it seemed, didn't extract a single concession from Cuellar for their efforts. Despite the Dobbs draft leaking three weeks before voting day, Cuellar refused to commit to enshrining Roe in law. As MSNBC put it at the time, Dems thumbed their nose at women's rights. And now that Cuellar is in a toss-up rate against Republican Cassie Garcia, that decision is coming home to roost. To put into perspective how much money the big pro-choice organizations are spending on the midterms, consider this. The $150 million that they pledged exceeds the $110 million in cash that the, the DCCC has raised. Money flooded into the coffers of the pro-choice organization after Roe was overturned. Planned Parenthood Action Fund alone reported a 4,000% increase in donations. All of that money is now sitting out of the race in Texas' 28th district. Uh, Planned Parenthood's Texas Votes, the group's statewide political action committee, confirmed that it's spending an organization exclusively extensively in South uh, Texas for Democratic candidates at both the state and local level, even within the confines of Cuellar District, but has not committed and will not commit any resources in re-electing Cuellar. Emily's List also confirmed that it will be abstaining from the race. Planned Parenthood Texas Votes is working to elect abortion rights champions, uh, a director of Planned Parenthood's Texas Votes said. 
We work year-round to engage the voters most impacted by the attacks on reproductive rights, which includes those living in South Texas and along the border. The, that groups who support pro-choice candidates would not campaign for an anti-abortion male candidate may seem obvious, but those groups tend to work in lockstep with the Democratic Party, and their absence of their support is notable given the extremely high stakes of the South Texas Swing District, which could conceivably decide whether Democrats hold or lose their majority. Texas uh, 28th, which the Cook Political uh, Review has pegged as somewhat between a true toss-up and leaning Democratic, is the sort of race the Democrat that is a must-win for Democrats if they are going to hold the fragile majority and maintain any chance of passing federal abortion protections or any other legislation for that matter. On a playing field narrowed by redistricting, there's a very real possibility that this one district could even decide which party has control of the House come January. Republicans have taken note. Just last week, the Congressional Leadership Fund the House GOP Super PAC uh, reportedly spent $400,000 ad buy in the 28th district. Protecting Cuellar in his vulnerable frontline seat will now be the sole responsibility of Democrats' own campaign groups like the DCCC, which will have to use precious resources, one that could have been spent on other crucial races, to fight an uphill battle to protect a candidate who is opposed to their agenda. They also cannot rely on organized labor to chip in also, as Cuellar is the only House Democrat, he's the only House Democrat opposed to protecting the right to organize act, the party's major pro-union legislation. According to Open Secrets, the race is already the C's 13th most expensive and October has barely even begun. It's likely to become the priciest, the priciest house contest in the country. Now consider this mind-numbing possibility, with polling suggesting that control of the house could be a true toss-up. There's a possibility that the Democrats could attain control with as little as one-member majority. If the DCCC is able to spend enough to save Cuellar in November, he could real, realistically represent that one member. I could take the entire Democratic agenda hostage, just like, just like Joe Manchin did in the Senate, in the Senate, but on abortion. With turnover expected within Democratic leadership after November, a long-tenured member like Cuellar could soon find himself as one of the most powerful politicians inside the a party elected with the man, with the mandate to protect abortion rights. So, thanks to Democratic leadership. Yep. It it might backfire on them. Surprise! And it's and this is very this is very funny because back back during while this race was going on and the House leadership was parading around for Cuellar, I think Nancy Pelosi at one point said, "Oh, we don't need we don't need Cuellar to vote on abortion rights." Well, and in reference because like he's just one vote and they don't. They don't. They, she's implying that like they can pass abortion rights without him, but now it's looking like that might not be the case, and they might need that vote. And and they could have had a progressive who su who supports abortion, who supports universal health care, who supports uh fighting climate change, everything that the Democratic Party is supposed to be for. They claim to be for. And they went and they helped elect basically a a Republican with who has a D who just so happens to have a D next to his name. Quayar Quayar is about as Republican as you can get without actually being a Republican. So good. So I applaud I I applaud the Democratic Party for once again shooting themselves in the foot electorally. And before we sign off today, while we're talking about abortion, continuing what we've been doing lately and promoting uh, the results, the real results of these abortion bans that are passed by Republicans. So here's another one from, 
Here's another story. This is from a local news broadcast in Arizona from a mother explaining how her 14-year-old daughter was denied health care because of Arizona's new abortion ban. And keep in mind, this 14-year-old was not, was not trying to get a, an abortion. This, this treatment was for an, another condition, but because the medication can also cause an abortion, she was denied. Here is that. So paranoid. I was shaking. I was in tears. Um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to tackle this. Strong emotions from a mother who finds out her daughter has been denied life-saving drugs due to Arizona's new abortion law. That century-old abortion law not only bans nearly all abortions, it also makes it a crime to provide the means for one. New at 6, Bud Foster shows us how that provision is already affecting doctors, patients, and pharmacies. As a mother who's had to deal with my child being very ill most of her life, I was scared. I was really worried. 14-year-old Emma Thompson has debilitating arthritis and needs the drug methotrexate to keep it under control. But this week, the teen was denied the medication just two days after the new abortion law kicked in in Arizona. Seems methotrexate can also be used to end ectopic pregnancies. This was the first pediatric patient that had been denied her medication. Dr. Jane Power is a 14-year-old physician who posted this tweet after she learned the medication had been denied. Welcome to Arizona, she said. Denied because she's a female. Livid, she added. This child's care has taken a lot of work to get her to a place that um, her pain's totally manageable. She can attend school in person. It's her first year and she's in high school. And, um, it's, it feels like a dream. But the anguish the family went through until the prescription was approved is the very same many patients will feel as more and more women are denied as she was. And I was scared. I was really scared. I'm like, if they deny this, then she will have to try a different medication. And we don't know if it's going to work. The teen has been on methotrexate for most of her life, and the prescription was a refill, nothing new. But it was denied just two days after the state law 133604 took effect, promising prison time for anyone who aids in an abortion in Arizona. My concern was that the, met the pharmacist chose to not refill because methotrexate could be used to cause an abortion and then the pharmacist would be responsible. We contacted Walgreens, which denied the refill, and the company said issues may arise because trigger laws in various states require additional steps for dispensing certain prescriptions. And the American College of Rheumatology warns doctors about prescribing methotrexate in states with new abortion laws and offers guidelines to doctors. Change in medical care has arrived in Arizona. Do we know that now causing my patient to have delay in access to care or sometimes potentially no access to that medication, what kind of changes will happen? It's, it's really frustrating and I'm very angry. But still, at this point, little that can be done. I'm Bud Foster, KOLD, News 13. <clears throat> so yeah, just, just the latest, latest example of how Republic, Republican abortion bans are getting in between patients and their doctors. And it, it, this, is just, this is just really amusing. After growing up, uh, growing up after the passing of Obamacare, which, I mean, there's some good things in Obamacare, though it was not it's not the it was not the greatest legislation there's some good things there's some there's bad things in it as well but the thing is like the thing you hear about the republicans always said about the ACA or Obamacare is that oh it's getting in between you and your doctor well who who's getting in between patients and their doctors now it, it seems like it seems like these abortion laws are preventing much more than just abortion. And if you support any of this, it's just deranged.
Like that that fourteen year old girl who has a chronic condition that needs that medica medication just to function on a day to day basis is might not be able to get it any longer. Good job, good job, Republicans. Is making everyone's lives worse. But that's all I have for this week. I will I will talk to you all next week. Uh, follow the show. Uh, support the show. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, then leave a like and review. Very much appreciate it. And I will talk to you hopefully next week. Goodbye.